Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you, and I'm in a pretty good mood, I'm not going to lie, in a pretty good mood coming off a Bears loss. Why? Because if you've been listening to this podcast all year, I'm not too concerned about wins and losses, I'm concerned about Justin Fields, and Sunday was a positive day in the development of Justin Fields. We will talk about that in a minute. Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic, the Bears beat writer. He will be by in a little bit. Have plenty I want to get into with Kevin on on the Bears here. Want to talk to him a little bit about what he sees from the offensive line. Obviously want to talk about Fields' performance, the defense's lack of performance recently. And, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's look into the mind of Kevin Fishbane and see what he thinks about the futures of Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. So plenty to get to with him. The other thing I want to get to, and I'm going to start here before I jump into all the Chicago Bears news and notes. I'm going to start here, and that is with Aaron Rodgers. So if you don't want to hear anything about vaccines, why don't you jump ahead about two, three minutes? We will get to plenty of Bears here, but I need to get something off my chest here, and I'm not going to sit here and preach the pros and cons of being unvaccinated, vaccinated, whatever. I'm not doing any of that. What I want to get into is is two things. Two things about this Aaron Rodgers situation. One, Aaron Rodgers lied to the media to mislead them, period. Aaron Rodgers did not want to be Carson Wentz or Kirk Cousins and deal with all those questions that those guys had to deal with, so he misled the media on purpose. A media that needs to be in rooms with him and cover him. So to me, that is, and I don't do this too often on this podcast, but I am going to do it right now. That is a bunch of bullshit out of Aaron Rodgers. That is crap that he did that to those people. And and again, I don't want you filling up my my Twitter mentions with, uh, with with the unvaccinated this happened. I don't want to hear your science. I don't want to hear your versions of whatever you think the truth is. I am not dealing with that. What I'm dealing with is the fact of the matter that he misled people in a pandemic because he didn't want to deal with the questions. Come up with another reason why he said what he said. I've been immunized. Fine. He said, you know, he thinks he took some hokey pokey alternate medicine that's going to build up his immunity against COVID. And the NFL said, too bad, you're unvaccinated. I, I mean, the selfishness of that to just not want to be honest with people who are potentially around babies that could be susceptible to it. 
immunocompromised people that could be susceptible to it, cancer patients, older grandmas, grandpas, those people are in that room. And maybe they're vaccinated and they aren't too concerned about their own health because they're, you know, 30s, 40s and, and pretty healthy. But that doesn't mean that an immunized person, or I'm sorry, an unvaccinated person that can get it, I, I believe the CDC says, at a five times higher rate than vaccinated people. And he's walking into that room as a higher risk, breathing on media members and potentially giving it them and turning them into carriers to potentially give it to loved ones who may not be as healthy as them. That's a bunch of crap. And if you, and if you disagree, then you're just as selfish as Aaron Rodgers. That is a bunch of BS that he did that to those people. And if I was part of the Green Bay press, I would be furious that he did that. Furious that he did that, because that is a bunch of crap. That is putting people's lives at risk. So don't tell me anything else about what you think about vaccines versus non-vaccines. If you're not vaccinated, you say to people that you're not vaccinated and let people decide what they want to do. Maybe they don't care, but maybe they do. That's a bunch of crap. So Aaron Rodgers is a liar, and that's a bunch of BS. The other thing I want to know is how did Aaron Rodgers attend all these press conferences unvaccinated and unmasked? What was going on there, NFL? I want to talk to Kevin Fishbane about that because I want to get a media member's perspective about how protocols are being followed and how things are happening at Hallis Hall, potentially, and at you know other stadiums and how other teams have been handling it around the league when Kevin travels. So I want to know what's going on there because Aaron Rodgers is just showing up unmasked, sitting down and, and talking. Now, everyone assumed he was vaccinated, so they weren't really concerned about it. But the Packers knew he was unvaccinated. The NFL knew he was unvaccinated. And he's sitting down there talking about whatever. And nobody cared. That's the bottom line. The NFL, the first time they should have signed that, should have told the Packers fix it or he's fine or whatever. The, the I don't know exactly what the, the punishments are for that situation, but that's a bunch of crap too. Nothing was done about this. So that's that's bad. We... You know, by the time you hear this podcast, maybe Aaron Rodgers has spoken, but at the time I've recorded this, he has not. I'm very curious what he has to say because he needs to attest to the fact, what, why did he say what he said in August when he told the media he's immunized? And the other thing he said is other guys on the team haven't been vaccinated. I'm not going to get into that. That's their decision. He purposely pulled himself out of that conversation and said it was about other people. So, Aaron Rodgers, you have something that you have people that you need to answer to, and I want to hear what you have to say. Now, let's let's move off Aaron Rodgers, and let's move on to a quarterback. Actually, one more thing about the Packers. This isn't so much about Aaron Rodgers. This is about Aaron Rodgers now missing the Chiefs game and potentially more games after that. Everyone wants Jordan Love to fail if you're a Bears fan, and I get that. We all want to see the Packers in QB hell, but... Here's the thing. Someone brought this up to me, and this is a really good point. You do not want Jordan Love to go 6 for 25 for 55 yards and 4 interceptions. That's not what you want. Sure, you'll revel in it and just love seeing the Chiefs beat the Packers at that point, what, 45 to nothing? But you don't want that, because at that point, the Packers know that Jordan Love isn't it, and they need to do anything they can to, to keep Aaron Rodgers. Now, you don't want Jordan Love to throw for 350 yards and four touchdowns either because if, if Jordan Love somehow turns into another Hall of Fame quarterback for 15 years and the Packers have basically a half a century straight 
of, of, of Hall of Fame quarterback play, I, I'm going to throw up. What you want is ambiguity and mediocrity. You want 16 of 28 for 145 yards, one touchdown, one interception, where you just don't know what you have. And then Aaron Rodgers comes back out. You don't get to see any progression out of love. That's what you want. You want them to not know what they have in Jordan Love. That's the best thing for the, the Bears fans, is to get Rodgers out of there, leave Love as a big question mark, and then hopefully at that point, then he fails. But we don't need Jordan Love failing until Rodgers is gone. Important point. Uh, someone told me that. I'm not taking credit for that one, but a good point that we should all keep in mind. Now, moving, uh, moving on to the Bears here, the San Francisco game. The reason I'm in a good mood is because wins and losses this season do not matter to me. Of course, I'd love to see the Bears go 12-5 and five and make the playoffs. I understand that means Nagy and Pace would be back, but everyone, I still think, should cheer for the Chicago Bears' success. I, I hate people saying, I'm cheering against the Bears, I hate the Bears, blah, blah, I, I can't deal with that. So I'm very you know, pleased that Justin Fields, to me, made a big step forward, a really nice, solid game out of him. I understand he still didn't throw for over 200 yards, which really, at some point, you sit there and go, this is the 2021 NFL, right? We're not in 1983, where quarterbacks were 225 yards passing. It was a pretty good day. It's like, what exactly is going on with this passing offense? I'm going to have to ask Kevin Fishbane about that as well. But what we saw out of Justin Fields was such a positive step forward. What's the biggest issue we've really seen is that where he just doesn't quite pull the trigger, right? He didn't have quite the confidence in terms of his decision and what he was seeing to just rifle the ball where he needed to. That was not the case against the 49ers. He did everything he could, and he did it well. He was dynamite with his athleticism. He was decisive. He, I knew Justin Fields could put some power behind the football, but he had John Elway speed on a couple of those passes. I mean, that, that, there was velocity. There was That was incredible to see that. And, he, you know, he didn't get some help from receivers. He didn't get some help from offensive line, which is going to happen with a, a rookie quarterback before with a bad offense. Let's not, you know, kid ourselves. That's exactly what the Bears are. It wasn't perfect. He made some mistakes, obviously. But really, how decisive he was. I mean, he, he read the defense, he looked, he fired, he threw, and he, he wasn't hesitant about it. He didn't double pump. He, he, ah, that's the most exciting thing I've seen from Justin Fields, because the one thing we, we've seen, we've seen him a little bit slowly with the, with the progression in terms of being decisive with the football and what he should do with it and what he's seeing and reacting to it properly. But that was the first time we really saw him embrace it and just go with his instinct. So that's what we need to see from Justin Fields moving forward. He has more of those days as he continues to, you know, learn the offense and, and just get used to and comfortable to reading NFL defenses and playing against NFL defenses. Things are going to continue to go in the right direction. So love that. And look, that fourth down play. And look, Mitch made some great runs. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to take anything away from Mitch Trubisky's mobility you know, that Patriots run is one that always jumps out at me, you know, and he, he made plenty of other good runs. I'm not just saying that's the only one. Trubisky was a, a talented runner for the Chicago Bears team. But Justin Fields is dynamic. He's a next level kind of thing. 
That fourth down play was remarkable that he made that he scored the touchdown on. He is a special talent. And that's one of those things where you can sit there and say, you know, not many quarterbacks can do that on Sundays, and he can. And that are those are the type of plays. And we know he has the deep arm accuracy to make plays with his arm as well. He has the ability to make big chunk yardage plays, explosive plays with both his legs and his arm. So if he can put everything else together in between, the Bears have themselves one hell of a quarterback. So that, that was exciting to see. Now, the rest of the game wasn't too exciting to see. The, the Bears' rushing game was good early and definitely sputtered. Offensive line still struggling in a lot of different areas. Larry Borum, you know, I haven't gone back and watched the game, really examined the game yet, but Larry Borum, when I was watching him, looked pretty good. I have my doubts about Larry Borum in terms of being able to step in as a fifth-round rookie and, and make an impact, but Borum looked pretty good in, in, in a lot of different spots there. The footwork was better than I expected. You know, he had a he had a tall order with Bosa multiple times, and he you know he he held his own okay. It was it wasn't terrible. You know, we we saw what you know Donald and even when Bosa lined up against Mustafer. I mean, we've seen some mismatches on the offensive line this year. Even Hall of Famer Jason Peters against Miles Garrett. We've seen some mismatches. That's 39-year-old Jason Peters, to be fair to him. But we've seen mismatches, right, where the defensive you know, front pulverized our offensive line. But Borum held his own there. That was, that was, a, that was a positive. So let's see what Larry Borum has, has you know, going on for him. So offensive line, still some question marks. Second half, things definitely faded offensively. That running game is critical for the Chicago Bears. We'll see if they can continue that moving forward. Excited to see what they do when Montgomery gets healthy with, with Herbert and Montgomery there. Maybe you can do some multiple back sets. Maybe you can decrease Montgomery's workload so you've got really fresh legs in the fourth quarter if the Bears are close or have a lead and need to run the football. So, you know, some positives there with the running game. Wide receivers, still a lot of still a lot of drop passes. A lot of frustration there with the with the uh, skill positions at the wide receivers. That doesn't seem to be getting better anytime soon. And defensively, that was a bad defensive performance. Bottom line is, I think they missed Khalil Mack desperately, desperately on Sunday. They just, they couldn't stop the run because you don't have Mack there setting the edge. You can, you can attack on that side of the football like you usually can't. Mack is critical to the pass rush because he's going to draw double, sometimes triple teams and open things up for Hicks and Quinn. That's not there either. So not having that dynamic piece along the front of the defense, that just crushed them defensively. They need that pass rush to protect that secondary. And when you don't have that, everything falls apart. And that's exactly what we saw. Because, look, the Bears have some very talented players on defense, but they don't have a talented defense because they have a lot of situations where, where they don't have a lot of strengths. So that defense, when if Mack is out, is going to continue to be a problem. He needs to be back as soon as possible. I don't know if they rush him back this week against Pittsburgh. Probably makes sense to sit him again and then have him have an opportunity to heal up at the bye and play against Baltimore. We'll see what they decide to do there. But Mack was desperately, desperately missed in that game. So you got Pittsburgh coming up. But look, bottom line here, folks, three and five. Not terrible if you're a I don't want Matt Nagy to return situation, right? Not terrible. I'm not, again, I'm not saying I'm cheering for the Bears to lose, but if that's your ultimate goal, that's kind of what needs to happen. But bottom line here, we saw something special out of Justin Fields, and that was exciting to see. All right, 
Enough of me. Let's get to Kevin Fishbane. He's got a lot more interesting things to say than I do. We will be back with Kevin right after this. This is Bears Banter. Bill Zimmerman. Stick around. All right. Welcome back into the podcast. Very excited for our guest this week. He is Kevin Fishbane of The Athletic. You can follow him at Twitter at KFishbane. Plenty of great Chicago Bears content constantly coming out of that account and at The Athletic. So definitely check that out. Kevin, Bill Zimmerman, thanks so much for jumping on and thanks for being flexible. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Bill. Thanks for having me. All right. So before I get into bears with you, I want to jump into uh, this Aaron Rodgers story that has just exploded. And I'd like to do this more from trying to get a a clarification because I I think, look, I think Aaron Rodgers purposely misled the the local media with his immunized line that he had in August. But I don't want to get into that so much. I want to kind of get into protocols as someone who's been dealing with this type of stuff on, on a regular basis. And, and maybe we can use Damian Williams as an example of an, an unvaccinated player. Because I've seen a lot, and because I've seen a lot, I've made a lot about Aaron Rodgers not wearing a mask when he's around the media like he's supposed to be doing. So, you know, I don't know what you guys know, and I'm not asking you to out which players are vaccinated and unvaccinated. But in from what you can tell at, at Hallis Hall and, and other places you've been, are, are the protocols being tightly followed around the league as, as best that you can tell? So I think within the building, aside from media stuff, like the things we don't see, I do believe it is being followed. Um, you know, unvaccinated players are on different buses. They're at different areas of the plane. They have to wear their mask everywhere. Now, the other thing to note about the mask situation, Bill, is, you know, where Hallis Hall is currently, there is a mask mandate in the state um, for all buildings. So things have changed in the past few weeks since that came about. So everybody's wearing a mask pretty much. But generally speaking, for press conferences, vaccinated people, it's okay if they take them off for the press conference. Um, the way I'll answer that is... Um, for the, I don't even want to say, I don't know if I want to say it. Yeah, for the most part, players that we are under the assumption or educated guess are unvaccinated are not always following the mask protocols with the media. Sometimes they have been, sometimes they haven't been. I think sometimes there's some confusion because obviously last year there were tons of mandates around the building, but they always had their masks off for Zoom press conferences. Um, I think there's some confusion in post game too about what um, they're supposed to do. But uh, so I would say that, you know, for the most part uh, it is being followed, but it certainly uh, has not been perfect. And let me just ask, and again, not asking about you personally, is is there anyone in the media? Cause look, I think for, for those of us who, you know, and I'll say I'm vaccinated doesn't, doesn't bother me at all. But, you know, and I'm not here to decide should people be unvaccinated or vaccinated. But I think for a lot of people, there is, you know, a, a concern not just about yourself, you know, getting yourself ill or getting others ill as well. So as, as someone who is whose job it is, is to be around, you know, in, NFL individuals, um, if they are not following protocols, have you gotten a vibe from the media? Like I said, I'm not asking about you personally. If you want to answer it personally, that's fine. But have you gotten a vibe from the Chicago media? that maybe there's some frustration about, you know, any times, or perhaps if you're on the road, you know, covering it, you know, has there been any frustration in the media that you've seen 
like you said, sometimes these protocols aren't being followed, that they aren't being enforced? Uh, yeah, yes and no. The problem, Bill, is that we just don't know 100% who's vaccinated, who isn't. Um, so that makes it difficult. You know, and, and frankly, the only way we can find out um, outside of you know doing some digging, and it's understandable people aren't going to reveal that, is... Um, it went, you know, you, you mentioned Damian Williams. He was somebody who I believe said it um, over the summer at some point. And then you can just tell how long a guy is out. Like you can kind of figure it out based on the protocols because it's, it's different. Or if someone's a close contact, like there were a couple of close contact players put on the list uh, during August and you, you only get on the list of the close contact if you're unvaccinated. So you can kind of use those clues, but because we don't really know, and because sometimes, like there were some guys and you know who are fully vaccinated who chose to wear a mask at press conferences. I have no problem with that, of course. So, so it, it is. It, it's been a tricky thing to navigate. Um, I, I there, you know, I can tell you from my myself. Um, you know, those who who know me, I have a, I have a little one at home, so I'm certainly. Um, I, I don't think, I don't think you can be over the top during a pandemic. So I don't want to use that as the way to describe myself. I think I'm very vigilant. Um, you know, so there's certainly things that you pay attention to because everybody wants to be in a safe working environment. The one thing I will note is that um, you know, every unvaccinated player has to get tested every day before they step in the building. Um, so, you know, the general assumption is if there is a player who is unvaccinated, if they're in the building that day, that day they test negative. Now, obviously, we know with these tests, it doesn't necessarily mean they don't, you know, they're not going to test positive next day or later that day or what yeah. have you. Um, but but it's, it's, it's something kind of um, wor worth noting as we kind of go through this. All right. Now, wanted, wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that from a media perspective, because I think that's, you know, when Ian Rappaport says that all those protocols were being followed in the building, but it's certainly, you know, when you see stuff from other Green Bay local writers that it didn't seem to be in the media room. That's that's kind of where I wanted to get your perspective. But don't want to spend the whole time on that because obviously this is a Chicago Bears podcast and, you know, kind of an interesting game against the 49ers that I want to get into because there were, when you look at the 2021 season, a lot of negatives. I mean, we saw how poorly the defense played. I want to kind of get into that with you and kind of figure out exactly what happened there. But obviously want to focus on the offensive side of the ball and focus on Justin Fields because, I think for me personally, I never really thought that this 2021 Bears squad was set to make any kind of deep run in the postseason. Maybe they could squeak in again like they did last year, but I wasn't expecting big things. So what I wanted as a Bears fan was to see the development of Justin Fields. So when it was January 8th or whatever that last game of the year is, I could sit there and say, I think they finally have that franchise quarterback. And I think there were a lot of positive steps against the 49ers. So from the, from the game that you watched, what did you see from Justin Fields against San Francisco that maybe was the best he had been at so far this season? Yeah, I think he was just decisive, Bill. Like, you know, he, he made his reads and he made crisp throws and he knew when to run and use his legs, obviously, to an advantage running for 100 yards. Uh, I, I just think there wasn't a whole lot of confusion. Um, he just had a good feel out there and you could see it um there was a third down throw to darnell mooney early in the game and uh i highlighted this in an all 22 story that's up at the athletic and you could tell being there in person i mean he threw it on a rope and, and we then and obviously he, he throws a lot of velocity we know that about him but there was just this conviction that you know 
that he knew where Darnell Mooney was going to be. He knew it was a critical play. He knew where the sticks were. He knew where the pass rush was coming, and he got rid of that ball in a hurry, and it was on the numbers, and it was a great throw, great catch. He moved, he moved the sticks. Now, you know what? You, all, you want to be careful, Bill, because, like, I, I feel like there's a certain segment, and, and I know you know, there's a segment of Bears fans that doesn't like the, um, you know, going too over the top with little plays like that, but I think that it is important to look at the week-to-week progress. Like, I'm – I, w- I was like this with Mr. Trubisky. I'm going to be like this with Justin Fields. I want to talk about it week to week. I want to see what incremental improvements he made from Tampa Bay to uh, this game, you know, even from early in the season to this game. Like that's the things I'm looking at kind of as you alluded to. So that when we get to the end of the season, you can see that arc and then you can start talking about, okay, what are the next steps for next year? Then after, you know, in the middle of year two, after year two, then you can start talking big picture. Who is this guy? What can he be? But I really want to try to focus on the, here and now, and I think you saw a lot of stuff in that San Francisco game that said, okay, these are things he improved upon, he's learning, and these are things that you could say, hey, if this is going to be a part of his repertoire, if this is going to be part of his game, you can see that when this team is in a good spot, that he could be the type of quarterback that they, that they win because of him. Yeah, I, I think there's absolutely that potential there, and, and like you said, some of those throws were on a rope. I mean, that was you know, for, for, you know, someone who's, who's in his forties. So kind of grew up in this era. Like I I've said this to a couple of people that that had like John Elway velocity on them to me. It was just, you know, and while we've seen the velocity on throws, we haven't seen it like that. And so a couple of them, I was like, Whoa, Justin, you, you don't need quite that much mustard, but, but I, I agree there, there was a, there was a conviction behind, behind every, every play. And I mean, look, and, and one other thing I just want to ask you about, and, and maybe you just sit there and take a step back and marvel at it is, I think we finally really saw the special athleticism that we saw at Ohio state. And I don't know if it was, you know, if it was a game plan to tell Justin, you know, use your feet more of her, he was more decisive on it, but obviously the fourth down play was just something special that I know Mitch had some amazing runs that one against new England always jumps off the page at me, but that, that was an incredible play that Justin Fields made. Yeah, it was. And it's one of those plays where you look at it and you ask yourself, how many quarterbacks in the league can do that? Not many, right? You know, I think yeah. like Lamar Jackson can do it. Uh, you know, there, there are probably certain situations where you can see Mahomes or Josh Allen doing it. Um, he, you mentioned Mitch. I mean, he, he's, you know, I used to call him crazy legs Mitch. I mean, he, he's done it before, but with Fields, like, I don't think that that was an aberration. I don't think that was an anomaly. That's something that he can do. Like, you know, and and I do think that that is that kind of rare athleticism that the next steps for this staff this season and then you know, whoever's coaching him next season is how do you harness that and how do you take advantage of it uh, and how do you make sure it's not all he does, obviously, um, but but trusting that he can do things like that. So, yeah, I like all the excitement, all the energy from that play is legitimate because those, those are the types of things that very few people who play that position can do. Now, moving forward a little to get to the offensive line, because obviously, look, I I understand a lot of rookie quarterbacks get placed into bad situations because they're usually top 10 picks, and those are teams that struggled the the year before, in essence. So the Bears not having a a stalwart offensive line, having the 80s, you know, Washington line is is, is not, not surprising, but you know, it worked a little, obviously there was, there was still some pressure. It worked a little better than it did against some of the other teams. Obviously, you know, you can look at the Cleveland game, but 
where do you see this offensive line? Because I, I, they've been run blocking really well. They kind of have that Juan Castillo downhill, you know, molar type. You know, when, when they get into guys, they can definitely open holes for Herbert and Montgomery. But, you know, what did you see from the offensive line? Did you see any improvements in pass blocking? And, and if you had any thoughts, if you've looked yet kind of specifically at Larry Borum, how do you think he did in his debut? Well, starting yeah, so- debut. My my focus when I rewatched the game, I, d- I did focus a lot on the third downs as I mentioned earlier, because that was just kind of something that really stood out to me. So those are the plays I, I watched, you know, three, four, or five times. And there were a few plays where Larry Borum, you could see it wasn't like he he obviously wasn't putting Bosa on the ground. He wasn't pancaking Bosa, but he was not losing off the snap. And I think that's so important for a young, I mean, a guy in his situation against someone like Bosa, like the, you know, they call it the first punch. He was winning the first punch at times and and not necessarily throwing both off balance, but just keeping him from having that direct line of the quarterback. And I thought that was really, really good to see from him all when you consider everything involved uh, in, in what led to that first start. I thought James Daniels similarly had a couple nice, uh, nice blocks with them for them on third down. Um, One of the plays I watched Jason Peters got beat. Another one I watched, he put somebody on in the dirt. Uh, and, and so that's kind of what he brings you, you know, when I look at the offensive line, big picture, Bill, kind of going back to the Justin Fields conversation to me, the number one, most important thing about this offensive line right now is Larry Borum. Like, I think that like, he is like, if he is everything they think he can be like, they have made no bones about it. They think they found an absolute steal. And if this guy can continue to grow and improve and show that he can be a 10 year starter for you. Like that, that's great. And that's who I'm be watching a lot of the last next few weeks because Jason Peters is not a part of this future. You know, James Daniels is a free agent. And I think you absolutely have a conversation about bringing him back at, at the right price. Um, Cody Whitehair, I, I feel like we, we know who Cody is at this point in his career. He, he can be a very solid, dependable player. Um, but, you know, maybe he hasn't taken his game to the next level people were kind of hoping for. It doesn't, I don't want to make that a knock on him. I think he's probably slightly above average in this league. But you look at his contract, you look at where he's at, you, you can wonder about him. So I, I think that, you know, Borum is the guy. Like, he's the only one on this line that can 100% say is going to be part of next year's offensive line. Like, I'm very confident saying that. The other guys, I really don't know. You know, I, like you just don't know what's going to happen, especially if there's some kind of regime change. Is that a unit that there's there's going to be some kind of overhaul, which sounds crazy as I say it, because they just overhauled the tackle position that they might need to at least overhaul the interior at some point. And you're supposed to feel good about that. I just don't know. But I do think overall pass protection against the 49ers was much better. That sack at the end of the game, there, there, I, there had to have been some kind of miscommunication there. Um, between Whitehair and Peters, maybe Mustafer involved too. I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I thought they played well. You go back, the, the run plays that failed, Bill, to me, are not run plays that they're good at anyways. Like, this is not a run game that is sending Khalil Herbert wide, you know, outside the tackle. I mean, this is supposed to be a wide zone scheme. And I think you look, there are two blatant negative runs or it was like a total stretch to try to see if he can outrun the defense and the bears couldn't, you know, couldn't protect the 49ers from staying the edge. So those are kind of the bad plays that stood out, but I did think it was obviously a much better performance than we saw against Tampa. Now, since you brought up Khalil Herbert, let's, let's talk about that for a second. David Montgomery, you know, let's, let's assume he's back soonish. Obviously if he's not, this question's irrelevant, but if he's back soonish with how Herbert has played, I know Montgomery got, 
you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of traction on, on those, those legs early on. The Bears were using him a lot. Would you like to see them? I, I know Damian Williams is there, but maybe you bump him down to, to RB3 at this point. When Montgomery's there, would you like to see more of a tandem with both of them, you know, staying in the action? Or do you think they should go back to Monty mostly exclusively? I think Khalil Herbert's earned every rep he can get. Like, let's say, Bill, let's say it's a 25-carry game, okay? I'd say Dave Montgomery should get 15 of those carries. Khalil Herbert should get maybe eight of those carries. And you can throw Damian Williams in for two carries if you want. Or none. You know, I, I, I think that Herbert has shown that he can be a really effective back in this offense and in this league. And I don't think you just put him on the bench or rele- relegate him back to being a full-time special team or kickoff returner. Uh, you have your kickoff returner, Jakeem Grant now, so you don't necessarily need Herbert to do that. So I'd like to see them find a way to take advantage of it, you know, turn it into not even a good problem to have, like a total advantage that you have two really solid running backs um, and this is going to be your identity. So I am fascinated to see what they do, but I'd like to see them really find a way to involve both, you know, because when, when they brought in Montgomery and even when they had Jordan Howard here, like they just never really like, like you never see two backs in the field. It just feels like this playbook doesn't really allow for those kind of formations with two backs. Um, you just didn't see a ton of it. Like they would still find a way to make Montgomery the, the bell cow. And look, he's, he's earned it. I mean, he's been very good in that role. He can handle it, but we've now seen Herbert can handle it. So I, I, I would like to see them find a way to take advantage of that. Where are you with Cole Komet a year and a half into his career? Yeah, you know, like I, I was pretty high on him coming into the season, and uh, it, it's hard. It's so hard to evaluate this passing game. Like, it's Fair. not so much that they're last in the league, Bill. Like, they're like the worst passing game in the NFL in like a decade. So <laughs> you have to like sit there and kind of keep that in the back of your mind about all these guys. And, you know, I think that there are probably – four or five plays Komet would want back. You look at the throw in the end zone on third down against the 49ers. You know, John D. Filippo admitted that was a little hot from Justin Fields. You know, you talked earlier about the velocity, you know, could have been a little bit more touching that ball. If Cole Komet's going to be a, a primetime tight end in, the, in this league, that's, that's a ball that he finds a way to catch. Um, and, and I think knowing the type of expectations he puts on himself, he would probably say the same thing. So I don't have... Like, I don't have concerns about him yet. I really don't. I just, I want to see more. I want to see them finding ways to get him more involved. Sometimes it just feels like the coordination is still getting there with him. And you feel like if he gets that more reps and more opportunities, that he could be a guy that every once in a while is going to get eight catches for 100 yards. Like, I do think athletically speaking, he is capable of that. He's been really good in blocking, though. Like, he's been a good pass protector. He's been a good run blocker. So, like, I, you know, I just think that I, I really want to, you know, avoid making any grand statement about, about him because of where this passing game is. Like, would I like to see more from him at this point? Absolutely. But I'm not sure if he's even gotten enough opportunities to show that. And then when you get so few opportunities, Bill, and you don't take advantage of one or two or three, those get magnified. Um, it's almost like an Eddie Jackson missed tackle, right? Like right. There, there really aren't that many times that Eddie Jackson, and I don't want to go on a necessarily diatribe on that, but there aren't that many times that Eddie Jackson is standing in the middle of an open field with a running back coming at him or a wide receiver coming at him. So when it does, you're magnifying that. So Cole Clement, there haven't been enough targets for him this season. And so when he's had a drop, when he hasn't been able to make a big play, it gets magnified because he's really only getting three or four chances each game to make those plays. I, I think that's fair. Now, 
just really quickly on the defense and then one on Matt Nagy before I let you go. The defense obviously has not played like it had been playing for a while. And, and I think Desai was doing a great job with stunts and getting some pressure, but we see Khalil Mack disappear off the field and suddenly that pressure goes away. The, you know, not setting the edge maybe is strong over on, on Mack's side and, and that the running game really got going for, for San Francisco as that game continued. How much of the struggling do you think is Khalil Mack's absence versus, you know, several other issues that, you know, could have been better, you know, executed by the defense. Yeah, I, I think Khalil Mack's a huge part of it. Um, you know, like, look, it, it, you know, Bill, if you're Kyle Shanahan and you're designing your run game and you see it's Travis Gibson and Robert Quinn versus Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack, I mean, that's just like, that just totally makes a difference in, in what you're scheming up. Um, and so I, I think that, I think that did play a big role, but look, they just came off a week in Tampa where they didn't do a good job stopping the run. They didn't do a good job against Green Bay and stopping the run. So it's been a few weeks since we've seen them play at that level. And, and, and obviously Eddie Goldman hasn't been the Eddie Goldman, you know, that they had a few years ago. Uh, Keem Hicks has been hurt. Bilal Nichols has had a tough season. Um, you know, I think Roquan Smith has been absolutely what you expect. Like you, you, you always want more splash plays, but there's only so much you can do. Um, Ogletree's been okay. Um, but I just, they, they just don't have the guys right now to make up for a Cleo Mack absence like that in that kind of game in that kind of situation. All right. And, and last thing here, you know, besides Justin Herbert, obviously the next biggest thing, and maybe this is the biggest thing even over Justin Herbert for Bears Nation is the future of Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. So I'll ask you a, a two-parter. One, do you think Pace and Nagy are tied at the hip no matter what, where either they're both back or both gone? And then more specifically on Nagy, where are you in terms of what you've seen from him as a head coach? Because I think there are things about him that makes him a very good head coach in, in a lot of different ways. But at the same time, Matt Nagy wasn't just brought in here to be the head coach. He was brought in here to be the head coach and bring the Bears offense into the 21st century. And the Bears consistently now the last three seasons have had, if not the worst offense, one of the worst offenses in the league. So where are you on, on Nagy and our pace of Nagy tied at the hip? Bill, the challenge in answering that question is there is a conventional wisdom answer and there is the Bears answer. And <laughs> the Bears and conventional wisdom like just don't mesh um and it's just like i have this feeling that we are on our way to another frustrating end of season press conference like i'm this is not me reporting anything at all i'm just like i just like i can't sit here and say that like they're gonna fire both of them they're gonna clean the house and start a rebuild um and i can't sit here and say that they're gonna pick one over the other because i just like this, this is just not an ownership group that operates like, you know, frankly, they should at times. Um, and like to, to your first question, like I, I like when they brought both back last year and, and that whole press conference, like that told me these two are together. And I, I remember I asked George McCaskey, you know, what told him that this was going to be different with the quarterback specifically. You know, Mitch, Foles, um, you know, uh, Jay, you know, Dalton, not Dalton because he hadn't been signed yet. You know, Chase Daniel, Mike Glennon, all those guys. Like, why was this going to be different? His answer to me was, this is going to be different because Ryan Pace and Manning were doing it together. 
So the most important part of this organization is Justin Fields, a decision that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace made together. You know, um, and, and that is what, and that whole, all that, you know, the 17,000 times they said collaboration, that would tell me those two are linked. But again, that's conventional wisdom. <laughs> you can't really count on the Bears to necessarily utilize conventional wisdom. So, like, I can see them going, like, there's nothing you could tell me that would surprise me of what they could theoretically do. When it comes to Matt Nagy, like, I think you kind of hit it that, like, there are obviously some things that he does very well when it comes to leading an organization. Um, however, I think this year has, has really challenged that. Uh, you look at um, the way that they've played in some of these losses. I mean, these are John Fox era losses we've seen. And, and, and look, I, I think Nagy would be the, you know, go ahead and take, you know, not take the blame, but like that reflects on a head coach when you have games that end the way some of these games have, when you have big plays that you've given up, when you have, offensive displays that are just sending me to the record books to find out how bad it was. Like, this is just, uh, you know, there have been times this season's been on a different level. There's plenty of time for the, the, this thing to turn around, obviously. Um, but as I noted in a story we'll have coming out next week, uh, teams that start three and five, not a good omen. I think only two times in the last 10 years uh, or two, two times in the last five years, a team that started three and five has made the playoffs. Bears have never done it. So, or at least haven't done it since 1990. So there, there's a lot of work for him to do. I just, I just think that you have to ask yourself, was there progress shown this year? And what tells us that these guys can get this team that progress next year? And you just look at everything that's happened since Cody Parkey missed that field goal. And, and, and you just don't see the type of improvement really on any side of the ball that you need to see. The one thing is the run game, right? And the irony of that is Matt Nagy wasn't brought here to, you know, bring, but, you know, to, to, to implement the, the fifth best rushing attack in the league. Uh, so, you know, and then it all comes back to fields, right? If, if the bears finish Phil, let's say, let's say seven and 10, something like that. Um, even if you didn't get to eight, and nine and, and, and back to your early question about what we'll think of fields on January 8th. If if they're sitting there and and in fields in the last you know nine games, it's like wow 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 I see it. This is the guy. Well, in that case, that's an easy sell job for the guys who picked them, right? To stick around. That hey, but looked pretty good at the end of last year. It was Justin Herbert. What happened to the Chargers? So that all, that doesn't always work. Again. You can't predict it because Bears ownership, it's just hard to tell what they're going to do. Um, but the thing is, and it kind of goes back to them not doing anything at the trade deadline, this is a head coach hell-bent on getting his team to the playoffs. And it's a general manager hell-bent on getting his team to the playoffs. And, and they're going to find a, they're, they're going to do their best to find a way to make it work. Uh, and shoot, Bill, if they get there, extensions for everyone, right? You know, like it's just, it just might be how it is. But, but I just, I, it's, it's hard for me to predict like the only thing that I feel comfortable predicting is that people are not going to be satisfied when they listen to ownership at the end of the, at the end of the season. I, I think that's a good guess. So I'll, I'll finish with this, just a, a, a 10 second answer from you. If I said the bears were going to finish either five and 12 or eight and nine, which one do you think is more likely? 
Oh man. You know, if you had asked me this last year and in 2019, I would have said eight, nine, just because of the defense, like that defense, like was still good enough to win you or steal you a couple games this year. Part of me is thinking like, could Justin Fields be good enough to steal you a couple games? Like we haven't seen a Justin Fields game yet. Like, like, like who's to say that he doesn't have like a 300 yard game in his pocket and that they can't figure that out just for a day or two. So man, five wins. Like right now I look at that schedule and what they're only going to be favored. Well, they be, they'll be favored in Detroit on Thanksgiving. They'll giants be favored at home. home. Yeah. Home against the giants. That's probably it. So if I'm going to look at that, I'm probably going to say more likely that they're going to win five games. So yeah, that, that's where I go at this point. Like Justin Fields is the X factor right now. Like if, if they're able to f- unlock things and build on some of the little things we saw against the 49ers, you know, like, could he win a couple games for them? That would be, that's, that's the reasons they could get to eight. All right. I, I like that. I'll go with that. All right. At Kevin Fishbane on Twitter, athletic. He's, he's worth a follow. You know, so much, it's so much unique contact from Kev, content from Kevin. That's, that's why I like, it. it's not just pushing articles. It's, it's interesting statistics and snap counts and anything else you can think of. Kevin, thanks so much for jumping on. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Bill. There he is, Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic. A lot of good stuff there from Kevin. I think he paints a really fair picture about this team moving forward. I mean, there's a lot of holes in this roster, and if this team is going to win a bunch of games in the second half of their schedule, that includes Baltimore, Arizona, Green Bay, Seattle with Russell Wilson, if they're, if they're going to make a move, Justin Fields needs to be playing at a much higher level. Now, again, like I said, I love what I saw against San Francisco. I think if we keep heading in that direction, we are going to be in for some exciting games here down the stretch. Even if they lose, I think we could be seeing some exciting games out of Justin Fields. So looking forward to what he is going to be doing moving forward. And, and I do have to say, from the beginning of that interview, definitely disappointed uh, with what Kevin Fishbane had to say, not about what he said, but the, the the subject matter about the vaccines and how, you know, things aren't really being followed closely, that would bother me. And look, I, I said what I needed to say at the beginning of this uh, podcast. I'm not going to get into it again, but uh, if you said you were vaccinated, you should be vaccinated. And, and that's the bottom line. And he, he can come up with whatever loopholes he wants to come up with. That was That was BS. Now, Steelers coming up. Another tough game. If it was at home, I'd feel better. I, I do think the Bears are going to keep this close. I just can't see Pittsburgh blowing out Chicago. I just Ben's a statue. He's not what it used to be. The, the Steelers game. The Steelers kind of muddle through games a little bit too. You know, they're, I, I haven't seen. Again, I'm not watching Pittsburgh 60 minutes every Sunday, but I haven't seen a lot of crisp action from the Steelers. So I think this is going to be close on the road. I'm going to unfortunately say the Bears. Uh, come up on the wrong side of the win-loss column, but I do think they keep it within about a field goal or so. You know, I, I know I'm usually in this range, so we'll, we'll go 24-20 Pittsburgh, which uh, that does cover the spread, ladies and gentlemen, if that's your game. But, uh, yeah, I think the Bears are falling to 3-6, and six, and at that point, going into that bye week, there's going to be a lot of nervous people around Hallis Hall about their job future. So that's going to do it for Bears Banter. We will talk to you next week. Bear down, everybody. Adios.